0: I was in, I was in.
1: the Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And I know exactly what it is you guys are thinking. It's Tuesday, and there's a new show. Well, the fine folks over at Wondery and the brand new podcast, Detective Trap, have actually commissioned Monsters Among Us to spread the word about their upcoming release. So you know what that means. Bonus content. So let's not waste any time in getting started. In this special episode. So, to kick things off, we're going to kick it over to the state of Illinois. Now, you may remember Ethan from several seasons ago. You see, Ethan works at a cemetery in the state of Illinois, and all sorts of strange things have been occurring there. So, for more on that, here's Ethan from the state of Illinois.
2: Hey, Derek, it's Ethan from Rockford again. Just calling in with a few more cemetery stories. I unfortunately have not seen what I have now dubbed the Rockford vampire. Uh, I haven't seen him since the first time I called in and gave that story. Although I do feel him, I believe. Every time I go back there, I feel like at least it's what I think is him. I feel eyes on me. But anyways, getting to some different stories, I have a few from some other cemeteries here in town that I've talked to some guys, and, but first I want to tell a couple little things that's happened in uh, the cemetery that I work in. So, this one actually happened after the first time I called in. I mean, not within 10 minutes after. I was in our work truck, and I want to say I always put it in park when I stop the truck always. I mean, you know, that's what you do with a car. You put it in park, but all, I mean, it's not even like, sometimes I wonder if I have just because, and then I remember me doing the action, but it's like muscle memory. Just put it in park. So I'm uh, putting out what we call a scroll. And that is someone's death gear uh, that we have to attach to their marker. So I get out of the truck You know, I put it in park, get out of the truck, get out. And I'm not out of the truck more than 30 to 40 seconds. And I hear a car. And we, at the cemetery, we don't want to be, you know, creepy, Legend of Zelda, Dampy type characters where people are scared of us. So we always, when we see people come in, we always turn and wave, smile at them trying to make them feel warm and inviting, you know, so the cemetery doesn't seem like such a creepy place. And I turned around, and it's not another car. It's the truck, and it's rolling down the hill. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh. So I took off running after dropped what I had in my hands, took off running, grabbed the hold of the door, jumped in, stopped on the brakes, put it in park. Now, I want to remind you, I said I was only out of the truck for about 30 to 40 seconds. When I had got out of the truck originally, they had uh, a song on there, I, I think it was a Justin Bieber song, and whatever song it was, it had just started, I was listening to the variety radio that we have here in town, and it had just started, and I, you know, when I got out of the truck, and when I got back in the truck, put the truck in the park, I was like, I'm almost 100% positive I put this truck in the park, but the weird thing was the station was not playing the song that I had gotten out or that when it was playing when I got out of the truck. It wasn't even on the same radio station, and it changed to one of my preset options of classical music instead of the variety that I was listening to. And if you remember my first call that was like one of the weird things that happens in the cemetery is the radio stations change. This happened to me also this week. I'm here by myself this week. I'm working all by myself. So Tuesday night, I didn't even have the radio on in the truck, put truck up, went home, came in Wednesday morning, went to get in the truck and almost blaring was one of the rock stations here in town. And it's not even in my preset options that I don't like the style of rock that they play. So that's weird. No one else drove the truck. No one else was around to drive the truck. No one else has a key but me, you know, and no one else had been in here. So that's kind of weird. Uh, my second story actually happened that's taking place in this cemetery. It actually happened to the guy that I work with. And this is probably about 66 or seven years ago is about two years before I started. So they're they're digging this hole and the, the fresh grave in front of them caves in and this bag falls down and they're like, they don't know really what it is. So anytime, like anything like this happens, we have to call the general manager out. So they called the general manager out and uh, he was like, well, we got to find out what's in the bag. So, to get it and open it so the guy that i work with now he got it picked it up got out of the hole they opened it and uh what they come to find out later was inside was a picture of the person that had been buried and they had like x's on their eyes and i believe he said there was bones and a doll and some other kind of like little bags with herbs and stuff in it. And it was a voodoo bag. The way he did, That's what he described it as. He said it was a voodoo bag. And the guy whose job that uh, when he left, I replaced. He, he was like, nope, nope, I'm not dealing with this. And uh, it took them a while to convince him to not quit. So, I mean, that's kind of freaky. I passed by the place where they found the bag every day. I think they destroyed it or threw it away. I don't really remember what he said they did with it. If he even told me what they did with it at all. That's a little creepy. You know, I'm trying to make this warming environment of cemeteries, but if you're listening on the podcast, I'm not doing a very good job. And it's about to get a little bit more freaky when I talk about another cemetery in town. One of the uh, many Catholic cemeteries we have here. And uh, I was talking to some guys that work there, or had worked there. And uh, they said, yeah, I was telling them all the freaky stuff that I saw. And they said, yeah, we've seen it too. I was like, what do you mean you've seen it too? They said, yeah, we've seen freaky stuff too. Uh, one day they came in, and in the nun area the, uh, of the gardens, there was a baby doll that they had someone had stripped and crucified upside down. Uh, then they found in, uh, they found writing in red paint, what they believed was red paint. They said they were never actually sure, but they just said it was red paint so that they could convince themselves spray painted in the grass, uh, obscenities in the priest section, um, about child abuse. And then they found bloody children's clothes next to it. Or, you know, that's what, that's what they don't know if it's actually blood or if it's paint. I mean, I know you can kind of tell the difference, but they, that's what they said. And then the last thing was, I don't know what section they said they found this in, but they found like a pentagram with all these weird symbols around it and ash from look like, like torches or someone burning something. And that kind of plays into back to my first call with what I've dubbed the Rockford Vampire and what I think he is, which is an occult leader or someone that is with the occult that's not up to any good. So, I mean, you know, trying to paint, like I said, trying to paint cemeteries in a warm environment, but I gotta share these stories with you. You know, I just, I feel obligated to share what's going on. So, uh, that's it for me for now. I have a whole bunch more stories to go over. Uh, My wife, I'm trying to convince her to call in stories pretty good. So, uh, I love the podcast as always. Uh, I actually had some technical difficulties downloading an episode two weeks ago and uh, I went and bought another podcast downloader and downloaded your episode or downloaded it just to watch or listen to your episode I did it solely for you because I had to I had to hear I have to hear it every week I have to so thank you Derek and uh just you know you're, you're so great what you do alright thanks bye
1: thank you Ethan now this is probably at least Ethan's fourth, fifth submission regarding this strange cemetery in the state of Illinois. But it's the first time that he's mentioned the creature that he's named, the Rockford Vampire. Now, I believe Ethan got that name from a very infamous vampire case over in London in the 1970s. Of course, I'm speaking of the Highgate Vampire. A long-time listeners of the show will probably remember a segment I did on the Highgate Vampire, I believe, back in Season 7. So poke around in there if you're looking for more information. Now as far as the radio station changing channels, I have a bit of a theory that may apply here. Now I was not one of these people, but I knew people in high school and even some people in college that would sneak out at night and commandeer vehicles. uh, Borrow them, if you will. And some of the best places to find these vehicles were government workers that would sometimes just leave their keys sitting in the car. So what I'm getting at here, is it possible that maybe some teens snuck into the cemetery late at night and took that truck for a little bit of a joyride, changing the channel and forgetting to change it back when they left the truck exactly where they found it? Now, of course, these are some serious allegations. I mean, we are talking a stolen vehicle here. So if these kids are in fact doing this, They're playing with fire. Well, thank you, Ethan, and please let us know if anything else strange has taken place in that cemetery. And, Ethan, if you feel like sharing, maybe send a couple photos to the Facebook group or something. I would love to lay eyes on this particular cemetery. Our next story of the evening is an off-putting story, to say the least. The following comes to us from Canada. It was submitted by Darlene.
3: Hi Derek, Uh, my name is Darlene and I'm calling from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I came across your podcast uh, from a recommendation from another podcast. I've been binge listening ever since. I think it's just awesome. Um, My story is short and I'm not sure where it will fit in, in your format, but I hope there's a place for it. I live in a very old house built in 1914, it's a big two-story, and I've always felt very comfortable in it, nothing's ever been, you know, feeling off or anything. Um, My husband and I bought our house in 1993, and both our daughters grew up in our home. Um, It was 2004, I was home with my mom visiting, my husband was at work, my oldest daughter was in Africa on a missions trip, and my youngest daughter was in high school. Um, It was daytime in the spring, almost exactly five years ago right now, actually. And my mom was on the main floor, and I was on the second floor walking through the hallway. Then I heard someone call, Mom. I froze. My mom came running up the stairs wondering what I needed. And I kind of like blinked at her and not really knowing what to say. I hadn't called her at all. But the weird thing was that it was my voice calling Mom but I never said a word. We just kind of looked at each other and decided it was just a strange thing. What else could we do? Nothing weirder or more eerie than hearing your own voice call out. Both of my daughters have had instances where they've clearly heard me call them or knock on the bathroom door and I've been nowhere near them. They've also both seen figures in our home but I've never had an, an encounter. I think this episode would have not been as creepy as it had been someone else's voice calling Mom. And if it had only been me hearing this, I'd probably dismiss it as well. But my mom heard it loud and clear. Um, I love your podcast, and I enjoy spending my time listening to other stories from around the world. I think we have a lot to learn, you know, from the world we live in. There's definitely more here than what we see. Thanks for letting me share. Oh, and please... Don't take the negative reviews to heart. Some people just gotta complain about everything. I think your podcast is great, and I can't wait for every new episode each week. Thanks, Derek.
1: Thank you, Darlene. I have heard of this mimicry in other places. I've heard of certain poltergeist cases where individuals' voices will be mimicked and replicated. The Bell Witch Haunting of the 19th Century... In Tennessee, rings a bell. But in addition, I have heard of Sasquatch encounters that describe mimicry. Oftentimes, witnesses will explain hearing a strange voice in the woods calling their dog in the exact same way that they normally do. Now, it seems for some reason that that activity is strictly attributed to Sasquatch behavior. I'm not exactly sure why. But this third version of this phenomenon... Darlene's version. It's a lot more off-putting. For starters, they're in Darlene's home. So whatever is in there mimicking her is also in the home with her. The second aspect is the fact that it seemed to uh, nail the voice. The mother actually believed that it was Darlene's voice. So there was certainly some credibility to this disembodied voice. And the entire thing almost sounds to me like some sort of doppelganger. I don't know that it was necessarily paranormal in nature, at least not the way that we know it. But was it somehow a time slip or something along those lines? I could ramble on about specific possibilities all day, but the truth is we just have no idea. But what I have decided to do is play another doppelganger call to kind of round this whole experience out. And this doppelganger call also comes from a familiar voice from seasons back. The following is Isaac's call.
4: Hey Derek, this is Isaac from Central Florida calling again with another one of my uh, paranormal childhood stories. But this one, man, I had just got my first Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, I'd have been about 11 or 12, and my little sister was about 7 or 8. We were in my room, and then I remember I was playing the game Fester's Quest. Because my daddy got me the Nintendo, and he got me the Fester game. And I remember sitting there playing it, and my sister was sitting on the bed beside me watching me. And then my mom called from the kitchen because I'd got a telephone call. The phones, you know, back in those days, man, the 80s, man, you had the phones with the long cords on them, the long curly cord. So I had to get up and go into the kitchen to talk. And uh, so I paused the game, and I am get down to the kitchen, and I'm standing there talking for about a minute. And my little sister, man, she comes running down the hallway and runs up and just, like, wraps her arms around me, man. She was really scared. She told me that when I got up and left the room, she was sitting there looking at the TV. And in the reflection of the TV screen, she saw me sitting there again. So she looks over, and it was, like, it was me, but I was wearing all black I was like, I was in all black clothing, and I looked really creepy. So she screamed and jumped, jumped down off the bed and took off. But uh, that's what she said. That's what she saw. Now, just one of the many things that went on when I was a kid. But you know, just one of those stories to add to it. Thanks for the show, man. Talk to you later.
1: Thank you, Isaac. Something creepy about these doppelganger things. And I think the details that make it so creepy to me are the fact that it manages to replicate, mimic, living people. Which in a sense means that this could happen to me. And That's just a scary thought. So thank you again to both Darlene and Isaac. I'm certainly not positive that both of these calls involve a doppelganger type phenomenon. But they both... Seem to fit the bill to me. Now, before we dig into the second half of tonight's show, i got to tell you about tonight's sponsor. Now, when three women disappear in Santa Ana, California, without a trace, it takes a bold, unwavering detective to seek justice. Now, I know a lot of you guys out there uh, toe the line between paranormal and true crime. So maybe this is right up your alley. So Detective Julissa Trapp has always wanted to be a cop, and she is, but she's not like other cops. Not only is she the only woman in an otherwise all-male homicide squad, but she does her job in ways some might view as, well, unconventional. A brand new podcast from Wondery in the Los Angeles Times Detective Trap takes you into the life of a cop who conducts herself relentlessly. Hosted by Dirty Johns award winning journalist Chris Gofford, Detective Trap is a story of a detective who fights through her own personal struggles and society's indifference to bring a serial killer to justice. Trap's longest resource for catching dangerous criminals her personal experience. Trap fully envelops herself in finding the person or persons responsible for the murder of these three missing women. Her search will take her to links that might shock you, but she's driven by bringing justice to the victims and their families. From going undercover as a sex worker to facing a man who takes a little piece of her soul with every encounter. There's nothing that Julia's Trap won't do. Now you're about to hear a preview of Detective Trap. Now while you're listening, make sure to subscribe to Detective Trap on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. You can also find a link in tonight's show notes. Here's that preview.
5: One morning in April, 2014, Julissa Trapp woke before sunrise and went to her closet.
6: I know I probably went through at least three or four shirts, just staring at like trying to decide what to wear.
5: She would have to make a thousand calculations that day. Some of her choices would be right out of the homicide investigation manual. Some of them would be influenced by the small army of other cops who watched her work. Some would be instinctive and hard to fully explain.
6: I remember thinking to myself, This is just like any other interview. Don't let it get into your head.
5: Of course, it wasn't just any interview. Soon she would walk into a windowless eight by 10 room and sit face to face with a man she had been hunting for the last month. To walk into an interrogation room was to play a character, she liked to say, and that began with the right costume.
6: It was a strategy and advice I got from an FBI agent when I worked sex crimes, that pink is a soft color, it's very approachable, non-threatening, and so that was something that I traditionally wore. I, I reached for those first, and it just didn't feel right.
5: At the Anaheim Police Department, where she worked, Trapp was known as a master interrogator. That depended on finding exactly the right persona for the room. Would she be a mother? A sister? A friend willing to listen?
6: I think part of it was there was people that told me, like, do you think he's even going to want to talk to you? Like, do you think he hates women?
5: One woman was dead. Three others had vanished. Today might be the last chance to get answers about their fate. If the missing women were alive, the man in the interrogation room might reveal where they were. If they were dead, as she suspected, the man might be talked, maybe tricked into revealing how she could bring the bodies home. Julissa Trapp had missing persons of her own, and she carried them on her skin, so they confronted her when she stood in the mirror, as she did now. They were represented by four black birds tattooed in a straight line under her collarbone. They were swallows, the bird that carries souls. She thought of each one as a kind of scar, but also a reminder of the mystery of fate that had brought her here to this particular morning and this particular case. For this adversary, she thought it was important to look approachable, but also to project strength.
6: I'm, I'm sitting here trying to decide, like, what do you wear when you're interviewing a serial killer?
5: She picked an emerald green blouse.
6: I wanted a color that looked good on me, but also that kind of signified a little bit of power. Emerald green just kind of seemed to hit it. I wanted him to know he was in control of that room.
5: Detective Trap put it on, over the swallows, and grabbed her badge. From the Los Angeles Times and Wondery, I'm Christopher Goffard, and this is Detective Trap.
0: not now, this game's my
5: This is episode one, All the Missing. Anaheim Police Department Headquarters is in a red brick building that cops call The Barn. It's been a second home for Julissa Trapp for most of her life. She now works at a cubicle on the second floor where she's the only woman on the eight-person homicide unit or what she calls the Varsity Squad. The case that would consume her for years, the case that this story is about, began a few miles away in Santa Ana, the densely packed county seat. Women began disappearing from the streets there in the fall of 2013. Trap would come to know their life stories intimately, and their faces would stare at her from the corkboard beside her cubicle. But initially, the case belonged to the police department in Santa Ana, where the missing persons unit had just one full-time investigator, a civilian, handling nearly 100 missing persons reports a month. The first to vanish was Kiana Jackson, who had just celebrated her 20th birthday. She had grown up in Northern California's logging country and left home in her late teens. She had been living in Las Vegas and had fallen into the grip of a man her mother came to believe was a pimp.
7: It wasn't like she got out of high school and said, or as she was growing up, said, well, this is what I want to be. I want to go be this.
5: Kiana Jackson's mother, Kathy Menzies, raised her in a small timber town with one high school and a railroad museum.
7: She got thrown into a big city and got swiped up because somebody saw her vulnerabilities.
5: Menzies says they kept in close touch, talking or texting every day.
7: She saw something funny and took a picture of it and sent it to me, or she heard this funny joke and wanted to share it with me, or, you know, I mean, during the day it was, I'm gonna make dinner tonight. What, how do I make
5: this? In the first week of October 2013, Kiana Jackson took a Greyhound bus to Santa Ana. When her mother didn't hear from her for a few days, she reported her missing to the Santa Ana Police Department. The person she talked to had looked up Kiana's rap sheet and found she had a record for prostitution.
7: And I thought, okay, well then, okay, but that still doesn't mean she's an invalid person. She's a human being just like anyone else. She has a right to be looked for. He just said, he goes, just so you know, prostitutes work circuits. From what I understand now is what he was meaning was, you know, they move from town to town. And I said, well, what you don't understand is, okay, maybe she was working circuits at the time she was talking to me all the time, but she talks to me daily. I see something from her daily, whether it's a voice, hear her voice, see a text message,
5: something. She called Orange County hospitals. She called the morgue, no trace of Kiana. She called the Motel 6 where she'd been staying. Kiana had left her things in her room and not returned. Weeks passed, and the mother's panic and desperation grew. At the Santa Ana PD, it was not considered a high priority case. It would be months before police got a warrant for Kiana's cell phone records to determine where it was last pinging. In the meantime, 18 days after Kiana Jackson went missing, a second woman disappeared. That was just a preview of Detective Trap. To hear the rest of the episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. So if this sounds like
1: something that excites you, and you would like to show monsters among us a bit of support, consider subscribing to Detective Trap today. Now you might as well keep on those detective hats because I have a bit of a mystery for you. The following story comes to us from Canada. was submitted by Kylie.
8: Hi there. This is Kylie. I'm calling from uh, Ontario, Canada. Where my story took place was near Tobermory, Ontario. I was eight or nine. And I was camping with my mother and father. Just a bit of a reference, my father is a retired vet. Um, At this time, he has been serving for about 35 years. Very serious man, doesn't really believe in ghosts, doesn't talk about the heebie-jeebie stuff. Just very straightforward, actual, scientific kind of man. So anyways, we had to sleep for the night. And everything was normal. Uh, it was maybe, I don't know, 8 o'clock. My dad woke up. I heard him rustling in the tent next to me. I woke, he woke up around about midnight to go to the bathroom. Where the bathroom was was an outhouse kind of out into the It wasn't a very uh, family-oriented campground. It was kind of just in the woods. So you had to walk fairly far to get to the outhouse. Again, another reference, I didn't hear about this story until maybe a year ago. My father had tried not to think about it, and also, like most people, thought it was kind of silly, and he didn't want to scare my mother or I while we were on this camping trip. So that's why he didn't tell us at the time. He went to the outhouse, and he was using his cell phone as a light to guide his way through somewhat of a makeshift path. It was about five feet. I would say, between both sides of the forest. So as my father is walking through the path, he said that it was a quiet night. He seemed to feel fine. He said he didn't feel anything weird. And he took a step, like he was just walking regularly, and he took a step out. Uh, He felt something big and black step out into the path. Um, My father, again, for reference, is about six foot five. He is a very large man. He has been to war multiple times, not not really afraid of many things, and he's very aware of wildlife in the area and probably had some form of a a weapon on him to keep himself safe, just in case. Very smart guy. (laughs) He said that something stepped out in front of him maybe two feet ahead. He had still been looking down at his phone with the light and he stopped dead in his tracks. He had an overwhelming sense of fear, and the thought that if he looked up or looked directly at whatever it was that walked out in front of him, that he would be harmed. He was just very, very afraid. He said he stood there for maybe three minutes, which, again, felt like a lifetime. Um, but this object he was just a very large black shadow of a man. But he said it felt as though this shadow was towering him. So it had to have been at least seven, eight feet tall. What really scared my father was the fact that he did not hear it coming through the brush. So if it had been some kind of an animal or a bear, he would have heard twigs breaking, especially because of how large this being was. Uh, there would be no way for it to have just snuck up on my dad. So they stood there kind of shocked at each other's presence. My dad definitely got the feeling that whatever this object was did not expect my father to be there and vice versa. They had this kind of like weird, awkward standoff for a few minutes until my dad said it just simply turned and took off into the forest. And once again, he heard nothing. He just heard it shift. And go into the forest, but he did not hear any twigs breaking or anything of the sort, uh, you know, if a large animal had been running through the forest. I mean, how even if my dad had gone through the forest, he would have heard him. So something quite a lot bigger than him, you would have definitely heard. Yeah, that was the rest of my story. He ended up running back to our campsite and did not go to the bathroom that night. He was pretty shaken up. I, again, heard this story maybe a few years ago once he finally, I guess, had it settled in his mind. He's now been retired for about three years, so maybe it gave him a little bit more wiggle room to be open to this type of thing. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, that's my story. Thanks. Bye.
1: Thank you, Kylie. Now, there's an aspect of your father's story that really sticks out to me. how silent this creature seemed to move now at one point kylie actually said that there's no way that this creature could sneak up on her father not only given the current circumstances that the father found himself in but also considering the fact that he was military trained and at the end of the call she mentions that the creature simply slipped back into the woods and walked away silently Now I don't want to sound like one of these guys that says, oh, I grew up in the woods. I know every little thing about the woods because I simply don't. But I did grow up in the woods and I do know a lot about what goes on there. And I can tell you many times I've tried sneaking around either to get a look at wildlife or sneak up on some fellow hikers try to give them a scare. It is hard. It is downright impossible. So for a creature that is said to tower over her six-foot-plus father, to move so silently just blows my mind. So if the experience that Kylie's father told did in fact happen, what in the world would be that big and that quiet? Thank you again, Kylie, for taking the time to share that call. And that's going to bring us to the final submission of the evening. But before I play that, if you have a call you would like to share, simply call the hotline at 1 888 608 night. That's 1 888 608 6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the report your submission tab. There you'll find several more submission options. All right, and that brings us to our final call of the evening. The following comes to us from the state of Oregon and was submitted by Andy.
0: Hey Derek. Uh this is Andy in uh Oregon. Um it was so my story is kinda short, but um it was probably about two years ago, so that would be two thousand sixteen uh, had to have been, I think it was around summertime because when I woke up, um, my house was pretty lit with the sun. So it was, um, pretty early in the morning. So what happened was I, I woke up and, um, there was a, I was facing my door. So when I opened my eyes, there was a shadow figure of a man standing at my door and, I didn't really think anything of it because I was thinking maybe I'm still dreaming. I just woke up. So I closed my eyes, kind of go back to sleep. But my uh, dog at the foot of my bed started growling. So that kind of I opened my eyes again and it was still standing there. And it just simply turned to the side and then walked down my hall. And my dog jumped off my bed and went chasing after it and then was running through the house Um, to like look for this thing and I, uh, kind of got up and there was nothing in my house and so I don't know if, uh, maybe it was, you know, sleep paralysis. I hear that a lot, but I could move and it wasn't like, like I I wasn't dreaming and the dog, my dog is the part that kind of got me, um, kind of freaked out, but, uh, that's my story short and, uh, love the podcast and keep up
1: the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Andy. Now, I would say this is a simple case of sleep paralysis, but the fact that Andy could open his eyes and seem to move some of his limbs, and perhaps more importantly, the reaction of his dog, tend to tell me otherwise. Now, as I say a million times, I am not a sleep professional, so I guess it's entirely possible that someone could suffer from sleep paralysis and still be able to move certain body parts. But as far as I know sleep paralysis is not an interspecies experience meaning that just because Andy is suffering from it does not mean his dog will see the same image and I think we have to default to Andy here a bit because he knows his dog better than any of us so if he says the behavior he witnessed his animal doing is extraordinary we have to take him for his word and that leaves us with the final question what did the dog see what was he reacting to these Shadow People stories are a ton of fun, but they can be pretty terrifying. So thank you so much, Andy, for taking the time to share it. And a big thank you to Wondery and Detective Trap for sponsoring this bonus episode. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Tony Bell, Warren Pon Abbott, and Addie Lloyd. And the music you're hearing for this episode was provided by Co.ag. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week.